This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. Is there something wrong? Warning! Life support failure on all decks. Abandon ship. Maybe it is time to take command. Bridge to Captain. Join Jan Shaw updating current events as only Jan can. Library computer. Data being received. Produced by CosmicReality.com Hello and welcome to the Saturday edition of the Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm known as the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net. That's my coaching website, thewebalchemist.net, where I create websites with soul for clients in the spiritual, holistic, healing businesses. So have a look there at thewebalchemist.net. And then Empowered Manifestation is where you can get my book on Empowered Manifestation. And that's empoweredmanifestation.com. You can also find me on Facebook and YouTube, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist, on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, and on Telegram, UK US Patriot, and on True Social, Success Alchemist. So today is the 4th of June 2022, and the title of today's show is Women Under Attack, Genocide. Uvalde and election fraud. So I just wanted to start briefly talking about what I see and others see as this real attack on women. Um, Tucker Carlson, I haven't seen it because I can't get Fox News. Um, he did a segment on the fact that police in Seattle are no longer investigating the rape of adult victims and I don't know the actual statistics, but I suspect that the majority are female. There's a major denial of womanhood, you know, this uh, ridiculous situation of not being able to define what a woman is. I mean, it's pretty simple if you follow the science. Um, trans woman, women are destroying women's sports by being allowed to uh, compete against women and of course beat them mainly because they're second rate if they compete in the men's sports then we've got biden saying that unless you allow um, trans children into the restrooms that for the sex that they identify as that you won't get any funding for school meals which I mean, this whole transgender thing is getting so out of hand, it's ridiculous. And um, Daily Wire have done, have produced a documentary called What is a Woman? And it was uh, premiered on the 1st of June. You do have to subscribe to Daily Wire to be able to see it. Um, I subscribed last night, um, but I haven't seen it yet because... I had problems actually getting access to it. Um, Matt Walsh is the uh, producer and the interviewer in the documentary. He did announce that on premiere day on the 1st, they were subjected to some quite aggressive denial of service attacks, which has caused problems for them. But I signed up for the subscription and then I 
every time I logged in it just said I've got to subscribe again so that was rather frustrating um, but I have managed to get into that this morning but I haven't been able to watch it yet obviously because I'm uh, doing the radio show but um, just to give you a heads up what the or how it's described is it's the question you're not allowed to ask the documentary they don't want you to see join Matt Walsh on his often comical yet deeply disturbing journey as he fearlessly questions the logic behind a gender ideology movement that has taken aim at women and children Watch What is a Woman Now, streaming exclusively for Daily Wire members. So there you go. You can find it at dailywire.com. And um, I can report on more to do with the content of that on my next show. Okay, so moving on to genocide. And as you know, I've reported a lot on the, um, the bioweapon, so-called vaccine, and tragically, we're seeing so many young people just die of suddenly, uh, unexpectedly, of heart attacks and strokes and all sorts of um, horrific stories. And of course, the people that are the conspirators in all of this, including the medical profession, are saying, oh, we really don't know what the cause is. Well, of course, it's all lies because they know perfectly well what the cause is. Last month, uh, Epoch Times reposted an article from Joe's, Dr. McCullough. This was on May 21st. Thousands of deaths and adverse reactions deleted from VAERS. Publicly available data from VAERS clearly revealed that these shots are the most dangerous, in quote, vaccines ever created. They account for more injuries and deaths than all previous vaccines from the last three decades combined. Evidence also shows reports have been deleted. And inserted in here is a video of Stu Peters uh, reporting on this. And I'm just going to read the story at a glance because it's the summary as I've got a lot to cover in today's show. Um, the US Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, VAERS, was created as an early warning system to identify vaccines that may be triggering a higher than expected number of adverse events. Publicly available VAERS data clearly reveal that the COVID shots are the most dangerous vaccine ever created, accounting for more injuries and deaths than all previous conventional vaccines combined over the last three decades. Data analyst Albert Benavides, I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation, has been analysing VAERS data since the release of these novel shots. According to Benavides, at least 10,000 reports of death or serious injury following COVID vaccination have vanished since the rollout of the shots, and they were not duplicate reports, which is a common explanation for their removal. About 2% of all COVID jab-related reports are deaths, and about 5% of death-related reports are being deleted. Only the initial VAERS reports are available to the public. Update report, updated reports are only viewable internally. That means we have no way of knowing how many of those who were injured have since died from those injuries. This is a loophole that can make a vaccine appear less deadly than it actually is. And then the main article I want to focus on is from uh, Dr Naomi Wolf on Substack, and it's naomiwolf.substack.com. 
Um, this was published May 29th. Dear friends, sorry to announce a genocide. It's really true. They know they are killing the babies. I've been silent for, silent for some weeks. Forgive me. The truth is I've been rendered almost speechless or the literary equivalent of that because recently I've had the unenviable task of trying to announce to the world that indeed a genocide or what I've called clumsily but urgently a baby die-off is underway. The War Room Stroke Daily Clout Pfizer Documents Research Volunteers, a group of 3,000 highly credentialed doctors, RNs, biostatisticians, medical fraud investigators, lab clinicians and research scientists have been turning out report after report, as you may know, to tell the world what is in the 55,000 internal Pfizer documents which the FDA had asked a court to keep under wraps for 75 years. By court order, these documents were forcibly disclosed, and our experts are serving humanity by reading through these documents and explaining them in lay terms. You can find all of the volunteers' reports on dailyclout.io. The lies revealed are stunning. The war room stroke Daily Clout volunteers have confirmed that Pfizer, and thus the FDA, knew by December 2020 that the mRNA vaccines did not work, that they waned in efficacy and presented vaccine failure. One side effect of getting vaccinated, as they knew by one month after the mass 2020 rollout, was COVID. Pfizer knew in May of 2021 that 35 miners' hearts had been damaged a week after mRNA injection. But the FDA rolled out the EUA for teens a month later anyway. And parents did not get a press release from the US government about heart harms till August of 2021 after thousands of teens were vaccinated. And there's a link to a Daily Clout article, Pfizer vaccine FDA fails to mention risk of heart damage in teens. Pfizer and thus the FDA Many of the documents say FDA confidential at the lower boundary, knew that, contrary to what the highly paid spokesmodels and bought-off physicians were assuring people, the mRNA, spike protein and lipid nanoparticles did not stay in the injection site in the deltoid, but rather went within 48 hours into the bloodstream, from there to lodge in the liver, spleen, adrenals, lymph nodes, and if you are a woman, in the ovaries. And there's a link to another article from Daily Clout there. Pfizer and thus the FDA knew that the Moderna vaccine had 100 micrograms of mRNA, lipid nanoparticles and spike protein, which was more than three times the 30 micrograms of the adult Pfizer dose. The company's internal documents show a higher rate of adverse events with the 100 microgram dose so they stopped experimenting with that amount internally due, due to its reactogenicity, Pfizer's words, but no one told all of the millions of Americans who all got the first and second 100 microgram Moderna dose and the boosters. Pfizer skewed the trial subjects so that almost three quarters were female, a gender that is less prone to cardiac damage. Pfizer lost the records of what became of hundreds of their trial subjects. In the internal trials, there were over 42,000 adverse events 
and more than 1,200 people died. Four of the people who died, died on the day they were injected. Adverse events tallied up in the internal Pfizer documents are completely different from those reported on the CDC website or announced by corrupted physicians and medical organisations and hospitals. These include vast columns of joint pain, muscle pain, myalgia, masses of neurological effects including MS, Guillain-Barre and Bell's palsy, encephaly, every iteration possible of blood clotting, thrombocytopenia at scale, strokes, hemorrhages and many kinds of ruptures of membranes throughout the human body. The side effects about which Pfizer and the FDA knew but you did not include blistering problems, rashes, shingles and herpetic conditions. Indeed, a range of blistering conditions oddly foreshadowing the symptoms of monkeypox. The internal documents show that Pfizer and thus the FDA knew that angry red welts or hives were a common reaction to the PEG, a petroleum-derived allergen in the vaccine ingredients, one that you are certainly not supposed to ingest. Indeed, PEG is an allergen so severe that many people can go into anaphylactic shock if they are exposed to it. But people with a PEG allergy were not warned away from the vaccines or even carefully watched by their doctors, EpiPen in hand. They were left to their shock. Pfizer knew that exposure to the vaccine was defined, in their own words, as sexual contact, especially at time of conception, skin contact, inhalation or lactation. And again, a link to another Daily Clout um, article expanding on that. Fact-checkers can deny this all they want. The documents speak for themselves. Of course, people who have tried to raise any of these issues have been deplatformed, scolded by the president, called insane and roundly punished. Athletes and college students and teenagers are collapsing on football and soccer fields. Doctors wring their hands and express mystification. But BioNTech's SEC filing shows a fact about which the CDC and the AMA breathe not a word. Fainting so violently that you may hurt yourself is one of the side effects important enough for BioNTech to highlight to the SEC, but not to highlight to you and me. I was able to process all of this and keep simply reporting, but in the last few weeks the horror overcame me because now the volunteers under the excellent leadership of Programme Manager Amy Kelly have confirmed that there is a genocide underway, intentionally driven or not, and Israeli journalist Etana Hecht has added her own superb analysis. Here is Ms Hecht's summary of the volunteers' findings. Vaccinated woman, women, sorry. The topic of pregnant and nursing mums getting vaccinated under encouragement and coercion is painful. It's painful to research, painful to write about and painful to learn how carelessly the most precious among us are being treated. The very essence of life and nature live within pregnant and nursing mothers. And there's a link to um, the whole article there. It seems that there can indeed be a happenstance genocide. Reproduction itself is targeted, intentionally or not, by the mRNA vaccines. And if you know that reproduction is harmed and babies and fetuses are harmed, and you know that this is at scale, which everyone at Pfizer and, and at the FDA who read these documents knew, and if you do not stop, then does that not ultimately become a genocide?' 
The war room stroke daily clout volunteers have confirmed that lipid nanoparticles, the tiny hard fatty casings that contain the mRNA, traverse the amniotic membrane. That means that they enter the fetal environment, of course. They also traverse the blood-brain barrier, which may help explain the post-mRNA vaccination strokes and cognitive issues we are seeing. The volunteers have drilled deep into the Pfizer documents' reports about pregnancy and found that the assurance that the vaccine is safe and effective for pregnant women was based on a study of 44 French rats, followed for 42 days... The scientists who ran the study are shareholders or employees of BioNTech. I think that might be a conflict of interest, don't you? The volunteers found that while pregnant women were excluded from the internal studies and thus from the EUA, on which basis all pregnant women were assured the vaccine was safe and effective, nonetheless about 270 women got pregnant during the study. More than 230 of them were lost somehow to history. But of the 36 pregnant women whose outcomes were followed, 28 lost their babies. The volunteers found that a baby died after nursing from a vaccinated lactating mother and was found to have had an inflamed liver. Many babies nursing from vaccinated mothers showed agitation, gastrointestinal distress, and failure to thrive, to grow, and were inconsolable. I am hearing anecdotal reports of these symptoms in babies nursing from vaccinated mothers now from across the country. The Pfizer documents also show that some vaccinated mothers had suppressed lactation or could produce no milk at all. Doctors, of course, are stumped by all this. Stumped. The NIH database has a preprint study making the case that there are negligible amounts of PEG in the breast milk of vaccinated women. But what is a negligible amount of a petroleum product in mother's milk when you are a tiny newborn with no immunities just arriving in the world? The NIH preprint itself reported higher levels of GI distress and sleeplessness in the infant studied and one mother had elevated PEG levels in breast milk and the fine print concludes that more study is needed. Quote, larger studies are needed to increase our understanding of transfer of PEG into human milk and potential effects after ingestion by the infant. Although expert consensus states there is minimal or no potential risk for the infant from maternal COVID-19 vaccination, the minor symptoms that were reported, sleep changes and gastrointestinal symptoms, be further investigated in future studies to determine if they are related to vaccination. End of quote. Since no babies died in the brief time frame of the tiny study, the study concluded that nursing babies suffered no real ill effects from vaccinated mothers, but the study did not follow these poor babies with their acknowledged sleeplessness and their confirmed GI distress to see if they actually thrived, gained weight and developed normally. On such faulty science were women assured that the vaccines were safe and effective for them and their nursing babies. But four of the lactating vaccinated women in the Pfizer documents reported blue-green breast milk. I'm not making this up. And the nursing baby who died with an inflamed liver, the case has been buried, has not made headlines. Coincidentally or not, 
The same FDA that turned a blind eye to vast harms to humans and to the subcategory of mums and babies in the Pfizer documents declared that Abbott, a major producer of baby formula in the US, had to close its factory. Coincidentally, with little formula available and with some or many, we don't know, vaccinated moms having compromised breast milk, it turns out that Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Richard Branson and Mark Zuckerberg have all invested in a startup called BioMilk, and it's BioMilq, which produces lab-grown breast milk from mammary cells. Reports of this startup include this Frankenstein-like language as if this is normal. Quote, the BioMilk team creates its product from cells taken from human breast tissue and milk donated by women in the local community who get a Target gift card in return. As if all of this is not horrific enough, Miss Hecht drew studies from three countries, Canada, Scotland and now Israel, to show that babies are dying disproportionately during and after 2021 in highly vaccinated countries and that newborns are dying disproportionately if they have vaccinated mothers versus unvaccinated mothers. In highly vaccinated Scotland, almost twice the number of babies died in 2021 as died in baseline numbers. In Ontario, Canada... 86 babies died in, in 2021 versus a baseline of four or five. This was a baby die-off so severe that a brave parliamentarian brought the issue to Parliament. In Israel, at Rambam Hospital in Haifa, there were 34% more spontaneous abortions and stillbirths to vaccinated women as to unvaccinated women. And it's got a quote from Jack and Abe's Junction, stillbirths, miscarriages and abortions in vaccinated versus unvaccinated women. Data from Rambam Hospital in Haifa reveal a stillbirth, miscarriage and abortion rate of 6% among women who never received a COVID-19 vaccine compared to 8% among women who were vaccinated with at least one dose. Ms. Hecht also notes that menstrual dysregulation in vaccinated women is fully confirmed now by many studies, with an average of one extra day of bleeding a month, a side effect about which I warned in March of 2021, which in turn got me called names by a CNN commentator and permanently deplatformed from Twitter. You don't have to know more than 8th grade biology to know that a dysregulated menstrual cycle not to mention spike protein accumulating in the ovaries, not to mention the traversing of the body's membranes, including the amniotic sac, by tiny, hard, fatty lipid nanoparticles, not to mention PEG in breast milk, is all going to affect fertility, fetal health, childbirth and babies' GI well-being or distress, and thus their ability or failure to, th to thrive, let alone to bond. And now the babies are dying. Now scale the data from Canada, Scotland and Israel to all the vaccinated nations in the world. What do we do with all of this? Knowing as I now do that Pfizer and the FDA knew that babies were dying and mother's milk discolouring by just looking at their own internal records. Knowing as I do that they did not alert anyone, let alone stop what they were doing and that to this day Pfizer, the FDA and other demonic public health entities 
are pushing to mRNA vaccinate more and more pregnant women now that they are about to force this on women in Africa and other low-income nations who are not seeking the mRNA vaccines, per Pfizer CEO Borla this past week at the, at the WEF, and knowing that Pfizer is pushing and may even receive a US EUA for babies to five-year-olds, I must conclude that we are looking into an abyss of evil not seen since 1945. So I don't know about you, but I must switch gears with this kind of unspeakable knowledge to another kind of disclosure. I'm not saying that this is exactly like finding evidence of Dr. Mengele's experiments, but I am saying with these findings that now the comparison may not be that excessive. These anti-humans at Pfizer speaking at the WEF, the World Economic Forum, these anti-humans at the FDA, knowing what they know, are targeting the miraculous female body with its ability to conceive, gestate, birth and nurture life. They are targeting the female body's ability to sustain a newborn human being with nothing but itself. They are targeting the amniotic membrane, the ovaries that release the ovum. They are targeting the lymph and blood that, can help, that help support the building up of mother's milk. They are targeting the fetus in utero, helpless. They are targeting the human fetus's very environment, one of the most sacred spaces on this earth, if not the most sacred, and they know it. I don't know about you, and I am not proselytizing, but as you may know if you read me here, these apocalyptic days I turn to prayer. I have started to say in public, once I had to face the fact of the die-off of the babies, that this is a biblical time, and I mean Old Testament biblical. It is a time like that of the construction of the Tower of Babel, of massive arrogance against divine plans. Men such as Bill Gates tamper with and seek to outdo God's best works in lab after lab, and tech bros disrupt the human competition for their unsought-after goods and services, by targeting human processes and by ruining the bodies made in the image of God. It is a time like that when the ten plagues assailed the Egyptians in Exodus 11, 4-6. For, so Moses said, this is what the Lord says, About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. 5. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her handmill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. 6. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. This was the worst plague of all, the slaying of the firstborn. It is, it is a time of ha-Satan, Satan going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it, as Job 2 describes him. It is a time of demons sauntering around in human spaces, though they look human enough themselves, smug in their Italian suits on panels at the World Economic Forum. Ha Satan and his armies ru ruining the conception, the milk, the menzies, the touch, the cradling of the infant by its mother, ruining the feeding of the infant, ruining the babies themselves. I read the prophets a lot these days, because how could I not? I am looking for what writer Annie Lamott called operating instructions. What do you do when humanity itself is threatened? When there are professional battalions and bureaucratic departments of people who act with anathema toward the human race? 
Surely there must be a clue. So I reread the story of Noah and the book of Esther a lot these days. I reread Jeremiah. We've been here before, embarrassingly often when it comes to that. The story is always the same, at least in the Hebrew Bible. In the New Testament, of course, God skips to the end and upends the plot. At least in the Hebrew Bible, God is always trying to get our attention, always, it seems, simply asking us just to walk alongside him, simply asking us to keep his not-too-challenging commandments, not, indeed, asking a lot. Jeremiah 1.13 The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a pot that is boiling, I answered. It is tilting toward us from the north. 14. The Lord said to me, From the north disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. 15. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. 16. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods, and in worshipping what their hands have made. In the Hebrew Bible, anyway, the math is simple. We turn, we listen, and we are saved, or we carry on heedlessly, worshipping what our own hands have made, sluts to other gods, to the science, to media lies, to the narcissism of convention, these days, one might say, and thus we are lost. We have been nearly lost, time after time after time. This time could really be the last time. These monsters in the labs on the transnational panels are so very skillful and so powerful and their dark work is so extensive. If God is there again after all the times that we have tried his patience and who indeed knows, will we reach out a hand to him in return? Will we take hold in the last moment out of this abyss and simply find a way somehow to walk alongside him? Or will we this time, in losing the babies and heedlessly carrying on nonetheless, be truly lost ourselves? So, really powerful article there about this attack on women, again, um, and the ability to reproduce. And, you know, I also understand that the spike proteins also accumulate in the testes. So, you know, we really are looking at this agenda, the Great Reset and the depopulation of the planet being carried out using these lethal bioweapons. And, you know, there may not be every person dropping down dead as soon as they take the vaccine, but the ongoing impact on the human body of these vaccines is absolutely disastrous and, as Naomi says, demonic. So moving on to some more information about Uvalde um, and the mass shooting there of the children in the school. Um, Rob McNeely on Twitter tweets, This woman is the epitome of what being an American used to be. We need more people like her. And that's in response to a tweet by Barbarism Critic, um, the mum that ran in and saved her kids after being handcuffed in Uvalde finally spoke up. And this is just a short uh, video, which I'm going to play for you now. Arrest you because you're being very uncooperative. I said, well, you're going to have to arrest me because I'm going in there. And I'm telling you right now, I don't see none of y'all in there. 
Y'all are standing with snipers and y'all are far away. I, if y'all don't go in there, I'm going in there. He right, immediately put me in cuffs. She says after Uvalde police officers told marshals to uncuff Gomez, she ran towards the school. As soon as they uncuffed me, I jumped that first gate fence. And once I jumped it, I went to my son's class. And I knocked on the door and I remember the teacher saying, um, I'm like, hey, they're already, they're already um, bulge cutting the fence to get me. She's like, you think we have time to get out? I said, y'all have time. I'm going to run for my other son. Once she was assured her son was okay, Gomez ran to get her other child, encountering more officers who tried to stop her. So I start yelling and I'm being a cooperative and I'm like, well, y'all aren't doing What are y'all doing? Y'all ain't doing Y'all need to be in here. Give me a vest. Somebody give me a vest. Something. I started paying attention to how far the shots were being so that I knew the shooter was all the way still by my first son's class. So when I went to my son, my second son's door, the teacher didn't want to open the door for me. So that's when they started um, escorting me out. And as I, as I see that they're opening my son's door, I go run for my son and I get him. With both of her kids out safe, Gomez still can't shake the thought of those who didn't make it. While you were inside the school, did you see... Officers there was inside not one the officer inside the school when I ran to my second son class. There was not one officer. And you were hearing gunshots, so you knew you that could hear the it gunshot. was an active shooter. It was still active. The gunshots were still active. They were not in there. There was no one in there. If anything, when I pulled up, my car was closer to the school than, the, where, than where the snipers and everybody that was laying on the ground were. When you heard that it took law enforcement 75 minutes before they went in and stopped the shooter, what was your thinking, having been inside the school yourself? I don't know. I was just thinking that they could have saved many more lives. They could have gone into that classroom and maybe two or three would have been gone, but they could have saved a whole, a whole more, the whole class. They could have done something, gone through the window, sniped them through the window. I mean something but nothing was being done if anything they were being more aggressive on us parents that were willing to go in there and like i told one of the officers i don't need you to protect me get away from me i don't need your protection if anything i need you to go in there with me to go protect my kids and if anything they were being more aggressive on us they were more pertain on keeping us back than getting into that school so sorry about the little break in the middle there i had the spinning disc going around so i had to pause it and let it catch up but something else about this situation is absolutely appalling. Just listen to this. And she also told me that, you know, she, she's on probation for some charges from uh, about a decade ago and that she received a call from someone in law enforcement telling her that if she keeps talking to media or if she, you know, keeps sharing her story, uh, that she might face some kind of violation for obstruction of justice. So she was holding back from sharing her story until now because a judge told her that she was brave and that uh, her, her probation would be shortened. So that gave her the courage to talk to us. Her now there's also some other information come out and um, John Rappaport is reporting or commenting on an article by Breitbart. Uvalde schools locked down at least 48 times this academic year and this was published on the 2nd of June. I haven't tracked down the Breitbart article but I like John's um, analysis anyway so I thought I'd read this one. Yes, this is the Texas school district where the recent massacre of students and teachers took place. Here are excerpts from the Breitbart article on the 48 lockdowns. The Uvalde Public School District is no stranger to campus lockdowns. 
In October 2021, Mayor Don McLaughlin reported the district had been forced into lockdowns 48 times during the first few months of the school year, largely due to human smuggler pursuits nearing campuses. At the time, Uvalde Mayor McLaughlin joined with a commission of local government representatives of, of Kinney and Uvalde counties to demand action from the Texas Department of Emergency Management, TDEM, regarding the growing border crisis, Breitbart, Texas's Randy Clark reported the county and city officials detailed the consequential impact of the border crisis on local resources. The mayor told TDEM officials that Uvalde Consolidated Independent School District officials had to lock down schools 48 times this year due to high-speed pursuits and migrants fleeing from law enforcement. Clark reported in October 2021, Uvalde Mayor Don McLaughlin told the TDEM the region needs refrigerated facilities to hold deceased migrants. I can't send local decedents from our community to San Antonio because our facilities are full. That is unacceptable, McLaughlin said. McLaughlin told the TDEM his community dispatched all six available ambulances on one occasion to treat migrants in need of care at the local rail yard. That left residents with impaired emergency response capabilities for most of the day. McLaughlin says local schools have been locked down 48 times this year due to high-speed pursuits and migrants fleeing law enforcement in his city. McLaughlin said local law enforcement is dealing with armed smugglers and migrants with convictions, including murder and sex offences. When the Haitian crisis was going on, the border leading to our city was wide open. There appears to be no end in sight. We need help and answers, he explained. So very young school children are locked down almost once a week because of danger from fleeing illegal immigrants. Of course, we're supposed to believe the only problem stems from trying to keep some migrants out of America. If the government simply opened up the southern border all the way, took down all fences and checkpoints and fired every agent in the border patrol, peace and tranquility would prevail. The huddled masses we're supposed to accept without limit are just yearning to be free, that's all. They aren't tempted to come here because they can acquire welfare and other government perks, of course not. They aren't tempted to come here because the Border Patrol is ordered to release them pending a future immigration hearing they can avoid. They aren't coming here because predatory human smugglers con them into opting for a better life they'll never experience. They aren't coming here because the Democratic Party is making it as easy as possible for these future voters to move up through the southern border. They aren't coming here because some of them can commit crimes and, if caught, acquire no bail release. They aren't coming here to game the system, certainly not. We're supposed to believe this massive influx involves only the migrants' desire to escape harsh and cruel regimes. That's the story. The machinery of the federal government is sticking to it and selling it every day. If, by chance, it happens to put small children under extreme duress and in fear in schools that have to lock down once a week in Texas, that's called collateral damage and it's incidental. We should pay no attention to it because we're generous and kind and opt for the greater good. So, yeah, it really shows the impact and the danger 
that these uh, schools are under with all these illegal immigrants pouring over the border. And of course, Biden is just using it as ammunition, pardon the pun, for pushing through this um, these gun control legislation. And we know that their ultimate agenda is banning guns. Well, I don't think the Patriots are going to stand up for that. So moving on now to the election fraud, and we've had more stories coming out about that. I'm going to start with a tweet from Brian Crook, and that's got a screenshot of a tweet, for, or actually I think it's a, no, it's a Telegram post, and it's got a screenshot of a post, breaking news repost like crazy. From the Cyber Symposium analysis of two Dominion servers from Mesa County, they just discovered a batch file on both servers dated 10-19-2020, right before the election, that removes security restrictions from SQL Server, enabling anyone to manipulate the vote totals. When this was found, the cyber expert on stage said, if I were Dominion, I'd be pissing in my pants right now. This is exactly why they didn't want us to see this. Please repost. The mainstream media will fight like hell to keep this information from getting out. It must be a grassroots effort. Now, we've had more information coming out from Georgia, and this wasn't about the 2020 election. It was actually about the primary that's just happened. And this is a report from WentworthReport.com. Georgia election fraud revealed result flips after a hand count revealed voting machine mistakes. According to the local paper, Decaturish DeKalb County, Georgia, just released the results of a hand count in the District 2 County Commission primary race. And the hand count reveals such massive discrepancies between the May 24th machine results and the June 1st hand count that it has flipped the race. The machines did not count 2,810 votes at all, mostly from election day ballots. That's almost 20% of the total votes that mysteriously disappeared. The machines also counted only 589 votes for the candidate Michelle Long Spears on May 24th and placed her third in the race, but the June 1st hand count discovered 3,491 more votes for her. Suddenly, she's winning the race. The real bombshell is why there was a hand count conducted at all in this race. It only happened because the candidate, Michelle Long Spears, took pictures of the precinct-level results and showed them to the local media site, Decaturish, and those machine results showed that Michelle Long Spears was getting zero votes in her own precinct. In other words, obvious fraud. New and corrupt databases created. Mistakes in the precinct scanners. Thousands of votes not counted. Thousands of votes miscounted for multiple candidates. Hand counts conducted to correct the machine counts. Guess what, folks? It's called election fraud using the electronic voting machines. Are you ready for the best part of the story? It's a primary race for Democrats. Paper ballots hand counted under scrutiny by all interested parties. Until then, U.S. election results are not credible. And then a report from Gateway Pundit, and this is related to the 2020 presidential election. 
True the Vote drops new bombshell video of whistleblower. You have to give your ballot open to them so they can see who you're voting for or who you supposedly have to vote for. And this was published on the 2nd. 100% fed up yesterday during a public meeting in front of the Arizona Senate. True the Vote founder Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips testified about their findings in a massive multi-state ballot harvesting and illegal ballot casting operation via drop boxes. During their testimony, they released a bombshell video featuring fellow investigator Greg Phillips interviewing another whistleblower in Yuma County, Arizona, who revealed how the elections were stolen in her community. In the video, an unidentified female whistleblower outlines how elections are determined by a group of criminals who inflict fear upon their community. She explains how they use fear and intimidation tactics to coerce individuals to vote a certain way and how they've ruined the lives of individuals and their families who dare to run for an elected office in their community. Whistleblower, because where I live you can't have a voice. If you stand up or if you want to even run against them, you will be shot. And even I know people who have tried to run by a council or major or mayor or just anything, and they have been even, they have lost their houses, their lives, everything. They have just run away from them people. She asks, they have been afraid? Then answers her question, yes, of course. If you work for the city or, or if you work for the um, school board, because we have the Gadsden District School Board, if you're an employee over there, you have to give your ballot open to them so they can see who you are voting for or who you supposedly have to vote for. Earlier today, we reported about the indictment of 66-year-old Democrat operative Guillermina Fuentes, a well-known figure in the border city of San Luis, that was involved in a coordinated and sophisticated ballot harvesting operation. Greg Phillips, so do they just know that or does someone tell them that? Whistleblower, they tell them that. It has to be like that, she responds. Whistleblower offers a final warning. Open your eyes, open your eyes. They are not sheeps, they are wolves. They are eating our community. They are really eating our community. And then it includes the video of that uh, interview uh, on TikTok. Thanks to the incredible hard work and courage of Catherine Engelbrecht and Greg Phillips, the House of Cards is about to collapse on a massive multi-state voter fraud organisation, starting with Arizona. Only two days ago, Greg Phillips warned of something even bigger than the mules that is about to be released. A lot of people are very likely shaking in their boots right now. And that's the interview with uh, Patel Patriot, and it's really good. I must uh, recommend that you watch that. Please pray for Catherine and Greg and their entire team of investigators involved in their upcoming release that promises to rock this nation to its core. I just want to share a post on Telegram from Bioclandestine, and it's referring to a clip, so I'm going to play that for you now. We got them by surprise in 2016, and they said we're never going to let that happen again, and they cheated. And it's a shame that they're allowed to get away. And let's see whether or not they do get away, because I don't think they will get away with it. Well, it's going to be interesting. I mean, you know, when you rob uh, the store of its diamonds, I always say Tiffany, and you rob Tiffany of its diamonds and you get caught, you're supposed to return them. So we caught them cheating, 
Uh, you're going to let somebody that cheated stay for three more years? I can't imagine it. And they're going to get three more years? They rig an election, they're going to get another three more years? So what should happen is uh, what the plan that we're on now, and I think a plan that's going to make people very, very happy, will be announcing sometime later. No, it's not something I want to do. I want to look at what's happening, and then we're going to be doing something else. No, it's not something I would be interested in. And the vote counters were, uh, there was great dishonesty. Look, it's been proven. Look at Wisconsin, what's going on. I sure. think they may decertify their election. I'm going to come back and make that strong will be bigger and better and stronger than ever before. Something's going to happen. The election was rigged. They've undone some of it, not all of it. They'll never be able to do all of it because we'll be acting long before they can do all of it. So there you have a compilation of clips from uh, interviews and rallies that uh, where Trump has been speaking. And Bioclandestine says, this clip reminds me of a conversation I had with Congressman J.R. Majewski and Zach Payne while live streaming on Red Pill 78 a few months ago. Representative Majewski had just gotten back from CPAC and spent a good amount of time with Trump where the pro-Trump party discussed much of Trump's game plan moving forward into 2022 and beyond. Majewski told us that he couldn't reveal their conversations and the overall plan, but he did help narrow it down via a process of elimination. He agreed that the people have zero interest in waiting for 2024 and there must be a plan to come back sooner. My thinking at the time was, no mail-in voting... GOP win big in midterms 2022, majorities in both House and Senate, appoint Trump as Speaker, impeach Kamala and Biden, Trump becomes POTUS. Majewski said that this was not the plan, but all of us were on the right track as it pertains to coming back before 2024, which led me to believe the only logical way to come back sooner would be to overturn the election in some way before the midterms. Otherwise, my plan will be faster. At the time, I didn't see an avenue for this to happen, but now with the revelations from 2,000 mules and the overall posturing and messaging from Trump, it appears Trump and his circle knew, know, about something pertaining to fraud in the 2020 election. I don't know what it is or if it comes to fruition, but Trump and his inner circle seem to have a plan and they are confident in it. This situation is rather unprecedented, as you might imagine. So projecting a legal avenue is difficult without knowing more details. Is there a way to overturn the election outright with evidence of fraud? Would the US military step in to, to defend the Constitution and the will of the people? Would it require a redo election for the state stroke counties affected by fraud? Would we have to redo the entire election for all states? There's already a federal election coming up. Could they simply add the presidential candidates from 2020 back on the ballot during the midterms? No idea. But Trump continues to say he has a big move coming and it's related to the 2020 election. Now with Greg Phillips coming out with his statements about something 10 times bigger than mules. My guess is they have identified the organisations where the ballots were being disseminated to the mules. They followed the money, climbed the ladder all the way to the top and figured out who was facilitating the entire fraud network. Now, keep in mind the beneficiary of the election fraud, Biden, 
was also a main ideologue overseeing the deep state biological network and creating enhanced pathogens bioweapons at black site biolabs in Ukraine. Hunter Biden's investment firm laundered US tax dollars to Hunter Biden's biolabs in Ukraine to conduct research on COVID-19 before the COVID-19 pandemic started. Greg Phillips says they found the most explosive issue anyone has ever come across pertaining to US elections. While I agree, I need to know how far did they go up the ladder. And incidentally, on that uh, Patel Patriot interview that I mentioned, um, Greg Phillips was asked by Patel Patriot if he had been talking to Trump. And Greg Phillips said, yes, we, we have been talking to the Trump camp. Uh, so obviously they're working in collaboration and we, we did speculate um, or at least there was an article that speculated that I shared several uh, shows ago um, about the fact that they use supercomputers to analyze all this data, the um, phone data, uh, geo-positioning geo data that they talked about and, you know, the, the speculation was, well, how do people get access to supercomputers without some help from uh, officialdom? So apparently they've now lost their lease at one of the supercomputer locations. They've been um, told they have to leave. Well, obviously the people there didn't like, I think that was the one in, um, I don't know if it's Alabama or Louisiana. I think it might've been Alabama. Um, Obviously, the people there don't like the information that's being shared. It's fairly obvious. So I have a little time left. And I want to share with you, as much as I can in the time available, of an article, again on Substack, and this is Brian Cates, who is obviously the head of Just the News. Uh, he has the Rise of the New Media newsletter. And the, the article is back on May 24th, while the Sussman trial was still in progress and the title is as Durham prepares to wrap up the Sussman trial attention will turn back to Igor Danchenko the plot twist here is really something uh, many of my readers will recall that back in February I wrote a column here at my substack entitled the biggest scandal that never was I probably should have called it the biggest scandal that didn't break quite just yet in that column, I thoroughly detailed the declassified evidence that pointed directly to the 2016 Hillary Clinton campaign for president having been compromised at the highest levels by Russian intelligence services. That declassification took place back in October of 2020, just before Donald Trump went up against Joe Biden that November. Then Director of National Intelligence John Ratcliffe made public several documents with stunning implications – not the least of which was that current special counsel John Durham had actually begun his investigation of Spygate-related leaks by April of 2017. But the most amazing document that Ratcliffe declassified at that time was a series of handwritten notes by former CIA director John Brennan. What made these notes explosive was that they detailed how Russian intelligence had created a detailed analysis of a top-level Clinton campaign strategy meeting in late July of 2016, in which Hillary Clinton's staff presented her with a plan to vilify Donald Trump in the media, 
with a series of fake Russia scandals as a way to distract the American public from her own very real email server scandal. The CIA was somehow able to intercept this Russian intelligence analysis. It was taken so seriously that CIA Director Brennan went to the White House personally to brief President Obama and members of the National Security Council about it. Serious questions should have instantly been raised as to how the Russians got this information so quickly. But the revelation was quickly memory-holed and forgotten by the time the 2020 election occurred. Part of the reason for everyone quickly moving on from the story was the way the fake news media instantly adopted the narrative handed to it by the US intelligence community. In interviews he gave at the time, Brennan himself ripped Ratcliffe for what he called a politicised disclosure. Brennan's steadfast downplaying of the declassification of his own notes worked. Yay, good for him. He bought some time, that's all. Eventually, the issue of that Russian intelligence analysis is going to be brought up by John Durham. And when that happens, I don't give a shit how many dismissive interviews John Brennan gives to Jake Tapper on CNN. Personally, I can't wait until the issue of the Brennan briefing in the White House comes up again. Oh yeah, before I forget, there's that other Clinton campaign stroke Russian intelligence connection. But there's another connection between the Hillary Clinton campaign and Russian intelligence that's been ignored. Another connection that's been hanging out there for years and it also is based on handwritten notes. Ignored, forgotten, memory hold. Except by me, that is, because I wrote about that other Clinton campaign Russian intelligence connection right here. It was back in August of 2018 that reporter John Solomon, then of The Hill, published an explosive news report that DOJ official Bruce Orr's own handwritten notes revealed that Fusion GPS's co-founder, Glenn Simpson, had told him that Christopher Steele's primary source for most of his dossier's information was a former Russian intelligence officer who now lives in the U.S., at the time, I engaged in a little speculation and wondered if this person Simpson was referring to could possibly be Rinat Akhmetshin, the Russian lobbyist who participated in the infamous Trump Tower meeting of June 2016. It is not until July of 2020 that Spygate researchers tracked down the real identity of Christopher Steele's primary dossier source, Igor Danchenko, now that we had the real name, we could all dig in and be, begin in uncovering the facts. And one of the first facts that surfaced about Danchenko was how he abruptly absconded from the United States back in 2010 and why. As it so happens, the reason Danchenko fled the US in 2010 was because he'd been caught soliciting the theft and sale of classified information. He was a Russian intelligence agent or officer, if you will. I'm not kidding. This was even discussed in Congress. Senator Lindsey Graham was really upset about it. It looked increasingly like Hillary Clinton was paying Fusion GPS for the intelligence gathering services of an actual real life, honest to God, former Russian intelligence officer who turns out to have been the primary source for most of the contents of the now infamous Steele dossier. At the same time, Russian intelligence had infiltrated the highest levels of her own presidential campaign. Just exactly how compromised by Russian intelligence was the 2016 Hillary Clinton presidential campaign? Given the evidence that's coming to light, that is a very valid and legitimate question. 
The campaign appears to have been compromised both at the top and at the bottom. Highest level campaign strategy meetings were instantly the subject of at least one Russian intelligence analysis, even while the campaign was also paying a known Russian intelligence agent for opposition research that ended up comprising most of the Steele dossier, research that is increasingly suspect as to its origins. So interesting to see what comes of the Danchenko um, indictment and the trial that's happening in October. And of course, we know that Clinton has close ties to Russia because of the Uranium One deal. So interesting to see how it plays out. So that's all I have time for this week. I hope you've enjoyed the show and you'll join me for another Cosmic Creating show this Wednesday coming. Uh, Thank you to Nancy for producing and also to Derek Condit for sponsoring Cosmic Reality Radio, without which none of this would be possible. So until next time, stay safe, be well and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality. A production of CosmicReality.com Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at MysticalWares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Wares Online Store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com. <laughs>